Good morning. I just want to echo some massive gratitude that needs to be extended as Ronald's already done that, but I'm, I'm not going to miss out on the chance to as well just to say thank you. Thank you for folks that are in from out of town. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that I don't seek out opportunities for, to greet every guy who's driving a truck or just from somewhere else. I just know what that means, the impact it has on their families for them to be away for a lot of hours to see the conditions that they put themselves in. It's dangerous out there. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do what they're doing to serve us, and we're so grateful. The guys here locally, uh, you know, it's, it's a unique uh, joy to get to serve a church through a pulpit. And, and we come and we gather around God's word, whoever's standing here. The real feature of any church is the word of God. We're not here hawking our own ideas, right? We're here to lift up God's word and to be impacted by his word. And so it's, it's easy for us to rally to this moment. But, you know, the Bible says that God gives gifts and he distributes them individually as he will. So when I watch guys like, uh, like Gus and, and Todd Tucker and, and Robin and uh, Johnny Chauvin, I don't know how Johnny does what he does uh, in, the, in the age and physical condition that he's in, uh, show up uh, on the top of roofs. And let me just tell you, I don't think you'd want anybody who stands in this pulpit putting a tarp on your house. Can I just say that? Um, as humbly as I possibly can. Uh, all the rain that's coming this week, we'd be installing sprinkler systems. That's what we'd be installing in your home. Uh, so to see gifts show up, to watch guys this week go from, uh, you know, we do a lot of feeding around here, but just the guys who stepped up to do the, the feeding program to, to serve 4,000 meals this past week. See, guys like Mike Batto and Ryan Lowe and Stephen Mackey, and of course, Pete helping with those efforts and 80 people, 80 people showing up to serve our community in the midst of everything you've got going on and all the, the difficulties there. That's just the gracious gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in our midst. So don't want to overlook that. When we think about revival, sometimes we don't think of a person with a hammer in their hand, right? But that's a move of the Spirit that's accomplishing those things. And, and aren't you grateful if you're one of those 75 people who desperately needed a tarp on your house or you needed a meal this week? Aren't you grateful? I know I am. Well, this moment reminded me, you know, coming to this service together, uh, reminded me of some things that we've experienced before as a church years ago. But it reminds me of a phrase that Jesus said, and it just, I just, uh, I'm trying to get through the emotion of some of this. When Jesus has his last gathering with his disciples, his last night together with them, and he says something that's a little bit peculiar. He says, how I have longed to eat this meal with you. It's like he was looking forward to that moment. There was something about this moment for him that just, it meant so much to eat this meal together, right? Now we know what that meal was, right? It was the Passover meal. It was the culmination of the new covenant meal that was going to be celebrated with Jesus for the first time, really inaugurating this this new moment for the people of God moving forward. But I, I just love something. We're going to celebrate communion today because I just love something about what Jesus was doing in that moment. Because that's the same moment. That's Luke chapter 22 that says that. But that same evening gets recorded by John. And in the gospel of John, John says, let not 
your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And Jesus begins to explain and unpack on that last night. He's going to prepare a place for them. But I love the fact that what Jesus was doing was bringing together this meal that we're going to celebrate later in the service with the troubles of life. They were troubled. That was a troubling evening. There was a lot. You know how your dogs can tell something ain't right around your house? Have you noticed that? You got pets like they know that you're moving out. You're doing something weird. They're kind of like, "What's this is weird. What's going on? I think the disciples could feel like they didn't fully get it, that this is the night. Jesus is going to be turned over to the authorities and it's all going to go downhill from there, so to speak. But they were troubled. That was a troubling evening for them. And these are troubling times for us. This is just the next event in a series of troubling events for our lives. And so I think celebrating communion is just a little extra special. But when I hear Jesus say how I've longed for this, this gathering and this meal with you, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about some other gatherings that we had and just the longing that was in our hearts when Katrina hit 16 years ago, uh, a little handful of us all evacuated to Houston, Texas. And after we'd been there several days, uh, we just found each other and, and we, we met at a church and borrowed a building. And there's about 30 of us, maybe something like that, who met together. And, oh, there was just this wave of emotion to just be in the same room with you, with your people, with your family. And then, and then it was weeks. We had no gatherings for weeks. And, and then enough people were starting to trickle back to New Orleans uh, back then. And so, you know, we lived on the western side of town. Back then, the western side was the distance from the hurricane. This time, the western side got front row seats to the hurricane. A little different outcome. Um, but we were able to get powered up out in Destrehan. And just invite everybody who had come back to the area to come join us. And we packed, I think it was like 130 people into my house for a service. It was unbelievably special just to be together after that. And just had that same sense of what Jesus must have felt like. I've longed for this moment. And so it's kind of special just for us to be back together uh, this morning. It's, It's been a rough couple of weeks, hasn't it? Yeah. Um. So this morning, I titled the message this morning, Moments That Call for Faith. And let me just clarify, uh, if you've read your Bible at all, you know, well, Keith, all moments call for faith. Yeah, that's true. But can we all be human beings right now and recognize some moments just seem to advertise themselves a little more pronouncedly that this moment is calling for faith, right? And there are moments where disruption, disorientation, delay becomes the feature of your life. And I feel like in some ways what we've been interacting with God's word recently is, it has been to try and speak into the, the, the way life has felt over this last year and a half. It's been full of moments of disruption, one after another. Moments of disorientation. I just, I mean, I know I, I feel disoriented. I mean, I talk to so many folks who just feel disoriented over the last COVID experience and all that was going on with that. And then now a hurricane together, uh, delaying our lives. And throughout this room right now, there are a variety of experiences of people who are, are, are pulling faith into their moment, 
right? And, and you know, we're not all pulling faith the same way into our moment. Do you get that? I mean, this is what compassion is about. Compassion is about recognizing not everybody here is going through the same thing right now. So when I think through, you know, the hurricane Ida components, right? So I know sitting in this room, uh, are guys like Cliff who hung with his dad in the last hours of his life through a hurricane, uh, trying to help figure out how to help his dad manage a crazy amount of pain that was going on and no remedy. Can't do anything to help him. Can't take him to a hospital, um, but just faithfully there loving and caring for his dad and his dad's going to die just a few days after the storm. Um, Think about Debbie Bassel sitting in her house and with her son. A tree comes crashing through the middle of the house, um, sovereignly in a location where her lazy husband, Peter, would have been laying on the sofa. <laughs> so in God's sovereignty, he managed to put Peter on the other side of the country to make sure he didn't get hit by a massive tree. And, and these guys today go home to meet with someone to tell them their house is probably going to need to be completely torn down that suffered so much damage. Uh, there's a number of folks here in the room who, you know, like us, you're trying to figure out uh, how do we fix what this storm did to our home? Um, you know, where we live, the storm managed to pull the front all the way across my house, pull the roof off, uh, the shingles and stuff off and turn my house into a sprinkler. Um, so I have water damage in the ceilings and the walls and the floors in every room in the house except two. And so... Uh, there's many folks who are walking through this moment and your life has been disrupted. Uh, how many of you guys know more about generators than you care to know right now in your life? <laughs> it's like, I mean, I could barely get a signal out there in Destrahan, but I'm Googling everything under the sun as to how to make a generator work, how to fix a generator. So if you, if you need, need to know anything about generators, just come ask me. I've got a degree in generator at this point. And then before we got to this moment, can we remember there was the latest Delta variant? Uh, can you, anybody remember that there is this thing called the COVID thing? I mean, I've totally forgotten about that. Um, that's disrupted lives differently, right? There are some people who got COVID and they were kind of like, ah, oh, it was a speed bump. I coughed twice and went on. And then there were others who that was not their experience. And there are some who have had family members in the hospital on respirators. And there are some who have lost family members. Right? You know, the grace you need for I cough twice is a little different than the grace you need for my uncle is dead. My dad is dead. All right? And those have been real stories that have taken place. And, and not to overcomplicate this, but when I talk to people, I can't get away from this one. Uh, in the last two years, but especially the COVID season, I have, I have talked to more people inside and outside the church, believers, pastors, leaders in the body of Christ, who are navigating what feels like a very dark world that we've been living in. Very dark. And people have lost a sense of anticipation. They've lost a sense of energy. They've lost hope. They're unmotivated. They just feel like they don't have the will to go forward in whatever it is that they're doing. And I can talk to many, many folks in many categories that feel like this is just a blah moment, like the bottom has fallen out. I just don't have the motivation to keep going in the things that God's called me to. And I know he's called me to things, but I just lack. And that's how life is feeling. 
And so we come to all those ingredients, and a few weeks back, I just felt like the Lord was just stirring some thoughts from, from Hebrews chapter 10 through chapter 12. And a word that we've been hanging out with is the word endurance. Endurance. We point out something obvious that we may not think about when we use the word endurance. There are things in your life that, that will never venture into the endurance category. And that's a lot of what we do. Right? Nobody endures Disney World. Nobody endures Hawaii or Paris. You don't endure a beautiful spring day, right? On those moments, you don't have to pick that word up and make sense out of it. What did this word mean? Why did God say so much about this concept called endurance? When do you need that word endurance? When you're worn out by the things and the stuff of life. When you've turned yet another corner and that last site that you just left looks like the next corner you just turned. And it looks like things are not going to be different. And the difficulties and the struggles that you've been experiencing are going to continue. They're going to be with you next week. They're going to be with you next year. Okay, now in that moment, you're busting out the word endurance. Because... We are in a world that's got a level of continuous suffering and difficulty and setback and hostility that needs to be made sense of. Right, so that's what draws me. And I just, you know, I think the Holy Spirit, without even knowing all this and obviously not knowing a hurricane was coming, that had been drawing me to Hebrews 10 through 12. And, you know, one thing to remember when you're reading your Bible, remember part of God's inspiration of the scriptures is the moments in which he speaks and the people that he speaks to that are here, right? There, there's an audience here. God chooses to write particular things to particular people and people groups at particular times. So when you pick up the letter of Hebrews in the New Testament, what's going on there? What's their time like? Did they just come through a hurricane? They've been through a COVID season, right? If somebody interacted with Holy Scripture being written into our moments, if God was still writing Scripture, which he's not, uh, if that were to take place, we would be a particular type of audience, wouldn't we? There'd be certain needs that would stick out and you'd interact with. So when you, when you tap into this first century setting here, uh, it is the first century. They are under the Roman empire, right? There's a way in which life feels and there's difficulties that come just because that's what you're a part of. But you don't step back and think about uh, the hygiene of the world, that they live in was terrible. I mean, you could have clean water one day and not have it again for a long time. And you could have all the ailments that come. You know, how many of you guys are under a boil water advisor? Anybody still? We are where I come from. I come from the land of no power as well. Um, there, was, there was primitive medicine available in the first century. Right? You couldn't go to the cabinet and pull out Tylenol. Didn't exist. You had a diabetic condition. You had high blood pressure, hypertension. No medicine was going to help you. Cancer treatment. No help. You were working in the field, doing physical labor, and you blew out your ACL. You know, get that repaired? No. You're going to live the rest of your life with a wobbly knee that has no ability to be prepared, repaired. So when you stare into their world, 
into a section of life where the Roman Empire felt a little bit like the wild, wild west. You had some law, but it was law that only showed up in certain settings. For the most part, you governed yourselves. And you treated your neighbor a certain way. And you took matters into your own hand when you had to. And he took matters into his hand against you when they needed to. And then onto this setting comes this, this new cult on the block called Christianity. They're really weird. These people are so weird. They eat and drink blood and, and eat flesh. This is, this, is what, this is what they do. And they worship a dead carpenter. All right, so you are part of the weirdest group that anybody can think of. And then once it gets known that you're a part of that group, you begin to lose friends. You begin to lose business acquaintances. So you used to have a shop in town, but you got saved and you got a little bit loud about your faith. And now you're part of that weirdo group and nobody wants to do business with you. And your business is plummeting. Your family is disowning you. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to come to your aid. They don't want to help you. So when you look at the setting of the Hebrews, uh, suffering abounds in the first century. It is the common experience. And that's why Hebrews takes on a certain tone as you read it and interact with it. It is a pep rally for faith. It is a gathering of God's people interacting with the realities of these struggles and saying, don't quit. Don't quit. Don't cast aside your hope. Don't give up. Why so many times is the book of Hebrews interacting with that? Because life was really, really hard. And again, I said this a few weeks ago. When you live in America and your definition for God is for you is married to the concepts of prosperity, these are really, really hard moments. Can I just tell you, if you grew up in a third world country and lots and lots of moments in life were hard, you would not be asking some of the questions we're asking. Your responses to difficulty and, and struggle wouldn't be like, why, God? What, where'd you go? Why, why did this happen? And listen, there's a humanity in us that cries uncle, and that's not wrong at all. We're confessing to God, God, this is too much for me. This, this is beyond my abilities. And of course, now if you're a believer and you've trusted Christ, the good news in that is I have abilities that are beyond my abilities. They're not mine and I can get them from him. But this is the struggle of Hebrews. It's interacting with moments that call for faith. And this is one of those moments. It calls for faith. And when you read through Hebrews, you're going to find that word faith being used over 30 times in this book. Only used more in Romans than it is in Hebrews. And it gets introduced to us right a certain way. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to pick them all up. Just a couple of things just to set the setting. When you get to Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4, faith gets presented as this really important thing. But it, it also gets presented with multiple warnings associated with it. So there is this thing that you and I are called to walk by faith. And then the Bible is going to step right next to that and say, and be very careful that you do. And I need to hear that, right? You got verses like this in Hebrews 3.12. Take care, right? Pay attention. Lean forward, everybody. Is that screen working? Oh, miracle of miracles. Thank you, Ronald. <laughs> Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you, right? Speaking to brothers, this is speaking to those of us who are walking with Christ. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. 
So an interesting, early on when Hebrews wants to unpack this, this faith dimension of our lives, it doesn't waste any time in introducing us to the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin of faith is unbelief. In every moment of our lives, it's either heads or tails, right? They don't, the, the dime doesn't stand up on its own. It's going to be heads. It's going to be tails. There are going to be moments in our lives where we walk either in faith or we are walking in unbelief. And the dangerous thing is that unbelief in a heart tends to take on a leadership capacity. Be careful that you are not led by your own heart that begins to unbelieve. It begins to lead you into another place. You used to be here, and the next thing you know, the next day you're moving more and more and more into following the leading of unbelief. Listen. I'm not standing up here this morning just uh, popping out some ideas that I hope you guys at the bottom end of the pole here get it. Uh, but I'm wrestling with these things right now, personally. Uh, I, I see my own heart. My poor wife, I, you know, putting up with me. So you guys just have to listen to me today, right? She's got to live with me. Um, and I pre- she has been such a strength. And I appreciate sometimes she turns Hebrews on me. She doesn't know that that's what she's doing. But she turns Hebrews on me. And she's kind of like, what's with the unbelief already? You know, kind of like there's this sense of, you know, you, you just can't walk around worried about everything. Um, well, that's what I do. I'm a professional worrier, honey. I mean, that's, I've got a degree or something in this. But there is a danger, right? When we get to a moment of vulnerability and faith is what's being called for, that our own hearts want to take the lead and lead us into unbelief. And one reason after another can come to us really, really quickly. But then there's this reality, right? Hebrews 10, 38, when we get a little farther into Hebrews, but my righteous one shall live by faith. That's the default setting for the believer in whatever setting. I know everybody's not having the same problems here this morning. But in whatever setting I'm walking, I am walking and needing to walk by faith. That's the default setting. The default setting in the Christian life, and this is kind of news for some of us, right? Is not sight. It's not what I can make sense of and what I can see. It's not my resources. It's not the ability for me to, to navigate how it all works out in the end. Okay, now I can see how it all works out in the end. Okay, well, that, well that's a form of sight. And what we see today is, is we're going to be called to walk by faith, which means you're not seeing some things, right? Faith requires that you don't see everything in order for it to be faith, right? Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 2. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. We're going to examine one of those guys this morning. And without faith, and I need, I need to hear this because my heart in, really intensely wants to glorify God and to please God. And I know yours does too. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And now, now inform yourself, be ready, because what that's going to feel like right here is a belief in a reward that I can't see yet and I can't touch it. It's somewhere up there, out of sight. But faith believes that God has a reward. Maybe it's around the bend there. Maybe it's in eternity. 
And you read the rest of Hebrews, you find out a lot of that is true. Right, so I need to be reminded of this. And let me give you one little sum, what I think would be a good summary verse. of what's the writer of Hebrews trying to inspire in all of us who are reading Hebrews? I think Hebrews 6, 11, and 12 is very helpful. He says, we desire, right, here's a desire of the reader who's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, right? So there's a leaning in to the walk of faith. There's an earnestness and, and Hebrews wants to help us be there to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So this letter wants to inspire in us something that feels like confidence, something that feels like full assurance and never feels hopeless all the way through to the end. Verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish. And so this letter doesn't want us to be sluggish. Now, now here, let me just tell you the difficulty of some of the environment that we've been in. How many of you guys could agree that the COVID year uh, for many was a massive invitation to sluggishness? I mean, just shut your life down, didn't it? I mean, you just were restricted. The normal routines all got disrupted. Day to day, sometimes, what do I do today? Just hang around. You know, nobody's going to school. Nobody's going to work. We're just going to all shut down. Well, that, that breeds some sluggishness, right? Uh, let me just warn you that, that there, is a, there is a benefit to routines that when these events come and disrupt them, they disorient us because our routines are gone. Right? We no longer get up at the same time, do this task first, that one next, this one, get productive, do some things. So that at the end of the day, you look back and say, oh, at least I did something. I went to work. I did this. I interacted with this person. When these events come, they can get you to the end of the day feeling like, what did I do today? And then if you're you know, kind of like us and our, your house is all in disarray, you have no idea even where wrong is. It's like, does that need to come up? Uh, is that a problem? Does that mold spot mean the whole house is full of mold right now? You just don't know. And, and so that produces deer in the headlights and you just become sluggish, right? So that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, listen to this phrase, through faith and patience inherit the promises, right? Do you hear that endurance word in there? There is an inheriting of promises all throughout the letter of the Hebrews and God's, God wants his people to know there's an inheritance for you. There are promises. There are rewards. These words that get used. But that inheritance comes through faith and patience. It comes through faith that stares into a world where it doesn't see what you believe is going to be the reward. It doesn't see it yet. And it comes through patience because you're waiting and waiting and waiting. This is the same Bible book that uses the word endurance over and over again because Patience gives way to endurance when we've had to wait and wait and wait. So, so maybe rescue yourself a little bit from this. Um, if, if God is requiring faith and he's requiring patience, can you pull that out of the category of God is against me? If things are not in you know, favor, that, again, this is the prosperity problem we have in our country, that we only believe God is for us when everything is popping up roses and everything's good. As though God's not for us. And I know that's kind of the prosperity teaching has done that. It has taught the idea that the favor of God is on your life a certain way. Well, what, did, what do you do with a life that doesn't seem to have the favor of God on it? How do you interpret that life? 
Well, here's a Bible passage that says there are going to be moments where what you're clinging to, you're clinging to by faith. You have an assurance of it, but you actually don't have it. And then there's this patience thing going on. And you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting, right? Right? Don't just think about your, you know, we're waiting for power in St. Charles Parish and waiting and waiting and waiting. But you could be waiting for things in your personal life. You could be waiting for your marriage to change. You could be waiting to be married. You could be waiting for something with your children. You could be waiting for something in your health category. And if you're not careful, the American prosperity idea has informed you that God's really not for you. And that breeds its own set of, why, God? What did I do? Why are you doing this? Why are you holding out on me? Why is this so hard? As though I must have took a, taken a left when I should have gone right, and now you're against me, God. Uh, do you read these verses carefully? You could be right in the middle of the will of God doing exactly what God has you to do, and you're still having to walk by faith, believing for something that you do not yet possess. And waiting for it and enduring and waiting and enduring. And God stares at that same recipe and he says, that's a good thing. That's a good thing right there. That's being used in your life to produce something that's really, really, really valuable. This isn't God saying, I'm against you. And and, and then, by the way, if you get this right in your life, then I'll be for you. If you go down that road, you're going to live in a miserable space. It's normal. For the people of God to have to wait in faith and endure. It's normal. It's in the Bible. So when we get to Hebrews here, there's, there's some, some angles on faith that get presented. I just want to go after one of them today. And then we're going to pray. And we're going to celebrate communion in a little bit. I want to go after Abraham's angle on faith. In this one passage, Hebrews 11 verse 8. And we'll just stare at some of these words. And remember, the people of old received their commendation from God. By faith. And then that's how Hebrews unpacks all these names. Hebrews 11 got all those hall of faith names of people who walked in various ways by faith. Right? So here's, here's one of the ways that Abraham walked by faith. Hebrews 11 verse 8 says, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive. Right? Doesn't have it yet. It's out there somewhere. He's going to it, moving toward it as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. All right, this, this wasn't a moment where he had all the answers that he needed. And then he went. No, he, he, he goes out with a lack of information here. He goes out not knowing where he's going. But let me just, let's learn something about faith here. Because right, faith is a big word. It's used, in, 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 it's used in, in limited ways in Scripture, but it's got so many applications to it. But just this passage right here might inform what we understand about what's faith going to feel like when you and I go to walk in it, right? So in this passage, faith features obedience. It features obedience. By faith, Abraham obeyed. Right? There was something in his life that he recognized that he answered to, right? For you to obey something, something has to previously exist, right? If there's no call, there's no direction, right? When your parents have never told you to do something, you can't be disobedient. It's only when they actually say something and declare, now you can disobey, right? Because there is something out there. So for Abraham to obey, God has to have said something to him. And he did, didn't he? Right? God intruded into Abraham's life and put a call 
and a purpose on Abraham's life. So for the rest of Abraham's life, his life answers to a call. Does that make sense? Is that important to you? Right, here's, here's what the illustration that struck me. Because my wife and I were supposed to be on a vacation trip last week. Um, I was supposed to be picking up a rental car. Um, and it struck me, you know the difference between a rental car driver and a UPS driver? Right, the rental car driver, which is what we were supposed to be, the rental car driver gets in the car and goes wherever the heck he wants. Right? We're on vacation. Where you want to go? Wherever we want. You know, Enterprise Rental Car doesn't, doesn't hand you a schedule and say, okay, hey, be here by this time and then here by this time. Park the car here. Load this up. Do that next. It's like, dude, I'm on vacation, man. Okay, this is a rental car. The UPS driver who makes his way through your neighborhood, he's not a rental car driver, is he? Every moment of his life is spoken for because he's called to be the UPS driver. He's got schedules. He's got places to be. He's got things to do when he gets there, things to drop off, right? There is a decree over a UPS driver. There's not a decree over a rental car driver, All right. So as, as a Christian, do you get the difference between who you are in this world as to whether you're a UPS driver or whether you're a rental car driver? Can I just tell you in America, lots and lots of Christians are rental car drivers, They rented the car and they're welcome for God to give them some advice on where they should go. But they don't feel obligated to live in those boundaries. Uh, By faith, Abraham obeyed God. That means God has said some things to his people. And God has said some things to you and to me. There are callings that exist on our life, right? And there's a variety of them. I think I just threw a few examples in your, in your outline there. Right? You're, you're called to be a Christian, right? So there, there's an obedience in this. And can I just say this? I am not going to apologize for the fact that the Bible calls us to obedience. It's the, oh, there goes grace. Uh, this is the same Bible. The Bible that says we are received by the grace and mercy of God through faith doesn't mind sticking in the next two words later, obedience. Something really good about obedience for my soul. Not some obligation that I really don't want to do. Um, Can I just tell you that I just read a passage about my evil, unbelieving heart that wants to lead me somewhere. So you can obey something or you can obey that, right? That's, you know, flip the coin. You got an unbelief and you got a belief going. That's the only choices you got. Right, so there is a goodness in this. And so, so what kind of callings has God given to us that you and I can be obedient to? Well, the call of all Christians. The call of all Christians to know, love, and worship God in your outline. That's a call. If you're a Christian, you're called to know God. Right? And so there's been difficulty from COVID. There's been difficulty from hurricanes. There's, there's diff- but in those, I have a call on my life to know God. I don't just get to deal with the mess out there in our world. I'm called to know God right now. By faith, I obey that call to take the gospel to others and to the nations. There's a call on every Christian. Right? I'm, I'm not a rental car driver. I don't get to decide I'm not making that stop. Right? That's not going to be what my 
day is going to be about. To show forth the excellence and the glory of God's character. To be ambassadors of a heavenly kingdom while we're here on earth. That's the call of every one of us. That's a UPS call that we're called to obey. Then there's callings that get more individualized. The call of husbands and fathers. The call of mothers and wives. The call of students and siblings and citizens and employees. God places these calls on our lives. And when we walk by faith, there are things for us to be obedient to. See, this is what rescues us from sluggishness. Because our life is just not this unscripted, do whatever you feel like next. There are components that I just, I just need to do what God's called me to do. And in this hour, that's a helpful thing for my soul. Keith, you don't know what to do. You, you got too many variables moving in your life right now. God, let me, just, let me just obey in some of these categories. And you got other callings that, that God has given based on your talents or, or gifts that God's put in your life. Right? So we, this faith features obedience. This faith features going. He went out not knowing where he was going. Right? Don't overlook what this is going to feel like. What is, it, what is it like to go out? What are you doing when you leave, when he leaves Ur the Chaldees? Do you, do, you, do you recognize what that's like for this man? His heritage, his background, he's known. His dad's got a reputation. He's got a family business. He's got belongings. He's got relatives. He's got support. He's got safety. And he's going to leave all that. To go Where? I don't know. So when you take your steps of faith and it feels like you're, you're moving away from some things because you are sometimes. You move away from what's familiar. You move away from what's known. You move away from what's comfortable. That's part of walking by faith that Abraham puts on display. So he went out. And that... Going out would mean a lot of stuff that he found beneficial and comfortable would get disrupted. Right? Disruption's part of walking by faith. As much as I want my whole universe to get in line, disruption is part of walking by faith. Because we're going somewhere. The Christian life is going somewhere. You know, one of the favorite descriptions of, of those who believe in Jesus and the Gospels is not just believers, we use that term, but it's followers. Or followers of Jesus. I actually think they use that term is used more often than not. So that, that just means I'm just kind of eyes on Jesus and I'm just going wherever he goes next. And, and sometimes he goes into hurricane zones and sometimes he goes into places that are just hard to be in, right? Sometimes Jesus steps into the mess of situations. He doesn't avoid them and I'm following him. So I'm going to follow him into some messes. Going means departing from Things that we trust, we rely on, we draw our sense of confidence from. And, and just think about that. When you move away from that stuff, the opposite of that begins to be your experience. I, I feel more insecure. I, I feel more unsteady. I, I, I'm not sure about things right now. Does that mean I'm out of the will of God? No, no. And you sound just like Abraham. The more Abraham ventured away from Ur of the Chaldees, he went out. He went away from something and he went to something that he doesn't know. How do I replace any of this stuff? Well, I don't, I don't know. Well, do you have that sense of confidence? No, I don't. I've never been here before. I don't know what this land is like. I don't know what's awaiting me, except that God promised that he'd meet me there. 
and he'd provide for me there. And there was a reward there. That's all I know, right? So going is featured. And lastly, this little phrase, faith features not knowing. He went out not knowing where he was going. Did you know sometimes walking by faith is just simply going to feel like, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm specializing in that right now. I, I don't know. I don't know how many times I've told my poor wife. She keeps asking me questions. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. At some point, she's just going to say, can you tell me anything you do know? <laughs> I think I wrote this in your outline. Maybe not. All right. So we're called to this race of faith that gets presented in Hebrews 12. Running a race by faith involves taking actions, right? You got you to gotta do some stuff without all the information that there is to know. You're going to do some things, but you don't know everything that there is to know. And I like to do homework, so I like to know everything. We have enough to move us, but we do not and will not have all the information. We've got enough to leave Earth the Chaldees. We've got enough to pursue what God has said, but we don't have it all. So if life feels like, I don't know about that. You're not out of bounds. You're walking by faith. This is what it feels like to walk by faith. John Piper says, verse 8, B describes Abraham's faith as not knowing where he's going when he set out. In other words, part of the inner response of faith is sometimes perplexity and uncertainty about the details of God's call on our lives. How many of us just run towards perplexity and uncertainty, right? If there's a room with a sign over it, all welcome to perplexity and uncertainty. I'm never going in that room. I'm just not attracted to that at all. But the walk of faith has some of that in it. There is perplexity in the walk and there is uncertainty in it as well. So as we're living a life described by going without knowing, we are walking by faith. And you can't escape walking by faith. Everybody's walking by faith. It's just a matter of whether you've based your faith on good, solid promises. Right? I mean, you get that, right? Everybody's walking by faith because these conditions are true for every human life. Everybody's going somewhere and everybody's going somewhere without knowing the outcome. And the biggest thing for our lives, and the older I get, the, the more this reality hits me. Um, where are you going when you die? I mean, you, you do recognize, right? You got an expiration date stamped on you somewhere. And mine keeps getting closer and closer. Yours is too. So if I ask you that question, where are you going when you die? So all of us could maybe answer, I don't know. But what if you met the God of the universe who knows the end and the beginning, all, all the way to the end, right? He knows the infiniteness of our existence and he's been there and he could come back and tell you, okay, here's how you get to an eternal place that's awesome and amazing. And he provides promises to us. I send my son, he dies in your place and reconciles you to me. And I give my life back to you that you lost. And that life will never end. And you will be with me forever. And that's a promise. 
All right, now, whatever other explanation you have for your existence, which science does not present anything that does not require you to have faith. I mean, I'm getting all this, you know, the science, like the science is doing all this talking. Uh, Listen, everything about the future is about faith. And by the way, if you're looking back and you say, well, where do we all come from? Faith too. I believe in the God who tells the story that he created all of creation. And he, he created individuals, human life to have meaning and purpose in this world. Well, I believe in a big bang that took place. Oh, you got more faith than I do. I'm an engineer by background, so I have a little bit of science in me. Um, if you study a, a variety of things, uh, you have a hard time getting to moment zero. There's all kinds of scientific problems when you get to moment zero, that there was nothing and then poof, something. That's the most unscientific moment that ever existed. Something from absolutely nothing. That's not science. That's a massive step of faith. So you're living by faith too, right? And so none of us get to do life without walking by faith, right? You got, what about this? What's, what's your future body going to take you? Where, where's your body going to take you? You don't know, huh? Could, could have 10 good years left, could have 20 good years left, could have some illness pop up that you didn't realize would ever show up. You don't know. You're walking by faith into your future. Where's marriage? Where's parenting going to take you? Right? You step into that and you go. You got married without knowing. Can I get an amen from everybody who's been married for a little while? <laughs> I had no idea. You know? And then you got pregnant without knowing, right? And then that child experience thing took you on a ride. And you didn't know where that was going, right? Because you engaged that by, by faith. You're walking in these things by faith. You know, where's your employment going to take you? Where are you going? Well, you could be CEO of something, or you could have the same job you got now 15 years from now. You don't, you don't really know for sure, right? But you still go. I know I've, I've heard parents wrestle over, you know, we want to do our best with our kids and put them in school, don't put them in school, homeschool them. Um, can I just tell you, whatever you do, you don't know. I've seen, I've seen kids go to schools and have great outcomes. I've seen kids go to school and have terrible outcomes. I've seen kids homeschooled and have great outcomes. And I've seen kids homeschooled and have terrible outcomes. You're going without knowing. I mean, I just want to make that point. Your life is filled with categories and mine is too, where we're going without knowing. And so what God gives us in that place is something to help with the not knowing, but he doesn't tell us everything. That's what he doesn't do. God, I don't know. So before I move here, can you tell me everything I need to know? No. How about I introduce you to this concept called faith instead? You walk by faith rather than by what you know. I'm not going to tell you everything. It's not going to happen. And I would love to know more, but God's not letting me in. John Piper says, so they come like Abraham, knowing God's call, but not the details. 
And so it will be with every major act of obedience you perform. So let me just give us a a couple of questions here before we move towards communion. In this moment, crazy, disorienting, disrupted, uncertain moments that we're walking through in a variety of categories, some personal, some that nobody else can relate to but you, some of them what we're all experiencing together as a community or in the COVID world. What would be, Lord, I just need to take the next step of faith, God. Well, here's, here's a few questions that would be in, in Abra, from Abraham's angle on faith. Would be good just to ask, just to help us get our balance in this moment. One would be, where is there something for me to obey? What can I obey right now in my life? Crosswinds of life, difficulties, a thousand questions, uncertainties just flood us. Okay, Lord, where, where can I just obey you right now in my life? Don't treat that like that's a bad thing. That's a wonderful thing. So there's something I, I can put myself to that you have called me to. There are callings that you have put in my life. I'm not going to get totally confused and bewildered in this moment. There are things that you spoke to me that Abraham knew. You said this to me in Ur of the Chaldees. I, I need to just be about doing that. I just need to be obedient to what you said to me in Ur of the Chaldees. I don't know this new land. It's foreign. The people are foreign. They speak a different language. I don't know where to settle. I don't know who the enemies are. But I know you said this to me, and I'm just going to obey and keep moving. Right. So where can you do that right now? What are the callings that exist in your life that you can just get up in the morning and say, okay, God, I'm going to obey you in this category. And my walk of faith is going to be obedience in the categories that I know to keep walking with you. Second question, are you following Jesus? All right, when life gets really disrupted and hard, Right? Hard is the moment where we reevaluate life. You know, we call our accountant and we rethink everything. We take an audit and we say, how the heck did I get here? Listen, I've had more conversations with people in the last year and a half that are asking those questions. Calling into question the life that I've lived and how did I get here? And in just hard moments, there's something in the air these days that is, that is a struggle. The real question for our lives is, am I following Jesus? Or am I a rental car driver? I'm free to make the decisions that I want to make. And I really don't like the way this is turning out. And by the way, can somebody get God on the phone? I know that works when your generator goes out. Apparently it doesn't work. I don't know where you are. Yeah. You try to call, nobody answers and they don't return your call. Are you following Jesus? In your heart, is there something that says, hey, God, I got to be honest, this would not have been the route I would have taken. I don't think God's surprised. He knows that. But you're following Jesus. And you have to be able to make sense of that you are where you are because you're following Jesus. Remember, we walk by faith, this, this race that has been set before us. We run that race with endurance, not the rental car race. It's like the UPS race. It gets set before you. It's like, okay, hey, before you punch out and go on your way today, here's the race set before you today. It's God setting a race before us. It's not you and I, you know, kind of mad because the race we wanted did not come in the past. Well, that was never the plan. 
Right? Do you understand? Abraham doesn't sit in Ur of the Chaldees and bust out a bunch of brochures about Tahiti and Paris and other locations saying, oh, I'm leaving Ur. I'm going here. No, God shows up and says, no, you're going to the land that I'm telling you to go to. And I'm not even telling you much about it. I don't even have a brochure. Just leave and go. And that's what he's going to do. But he's going to follow Jesus. And lastly, are you okay with the not knowing part? Like when you come to this, it feels like if I don't know more, it's like I can't do this. But Abraham didn't know. And it was God's plan that he not know. So can we be okay with that? Walking by faith means that I'm not going to know all the details. And there's going to be perplexity that sets in in those moments where I feel like I need to know more, but I don't know more. But I still need to move toward this promised land and take steps in that direction. Can you be okay with that? This walk of faith, you're just not going to know some things. All right, let me finish with this. And Keith, you can come back up with the team. We're going to celebrate communion this morning together. Um, Because I think communion is going to help us with what you need to know when you don't know much. Right? You guys remember that last evening and even the days surrounding Jesus leaving this earth? Ministry is coming to an end on earth and he is leaving. Do you remember how much confusion is going on? You got Simon Peter cutting ears off, you know, know, opposing Jesus. And you got the guys who are all kind of downtrodden meeting Jesus on the way to Emmaus because this terrible event has happened. Nothing's going to come true. These guys don't get it. They get that there's trouble. They don't know. God hasn't told them everything and they're having to walk by faith and they're drawing the wrong conclusions. But I just love the fact that on the evening that they were gathered together, that meal that Jesus longed to eat with them was going to be a presentation of let not your hearts be troubled. This meal you're about to partake of, it means something. And you need to cling to what it means. And this, this is a covenant meal. And I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit more for us before we partake of it. But it's a covenant meal. It's, it's, it's symbolic, yes, but it's dipped in promises. It's a meal of remembrance in the scriptures where it, it calls us to go back to this place. Kind of like Abraham. Remember what God said to you before you left Ur the Chaldees. He promised you some things. That's why you've departed because he promised you this. Jesus breaks out that meal and that meal that we're about to partake of, it calls on us to know some things, even though we don't know a lot of things when we walk by faith. But these things we need to know. The meal Jesus ate with his disciples, it was the the Passover meal. It had the symbols in it of the Passover meal. Blood being shed. The passing over of God's judgment upon the guilty. Sin being transferred to someone else. That was what the Passover meal represented. But this meal of the new covenant, it had even more in it. 
It was all those things. And that's what needs to be remembered. Isn't that sometimes the stuff we don't even care about why we remember, right? We're going through a hard time right now. We just want to figure out what to do next week. And God's talking to us about blood being shed and forgiveness for our sins. And we're like, well, yeah, I get that. What's, what's the point of that? Ah, oh, that's what you need to know when you don't know a whole lot. So as we think about that meal, you have this screaming declaration from Jesus that if, he, if God did not spare his own son, how will he not with him graciously give us all things? The meal that we eat is because God did not spare his own son. He put him on a cross. He broke his flesh. He shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven and restored to him. That's the meal that we are eating. So right now in the midst of all of our disruption and our confusion and our delays, right? How many of us just, we're just delayed. Life's just not going where we thought it would go as fast as we hoped it would. God, what do I need to know? Because I don't know how long this is going to take. And I don't know where this exactly this is going to land me. I don't know what the new land is going to be like that I'm going to end up in. What do I need to know? Uh, well, you need to know that I sent my son for you and I love you. I didn't spare him. You need to know the same thing I, I told Abraham. I said, Abraham, I am your shield and your great reward. I am your shield. And I am your great reward. Come after that reward. Listen, right now, a lot of stuff is disrupted in our lives. And maybe some of it looks like we're never going to get some of these things. and never going to get them fixed, never going to get them right. But if you're a Christian, if you've trusted Christ, you have not lost your great reward. Because your great reward was not things. It was him. And this meal calls us to remember that, to hold in our hands the emblems of that which God did to reconcile us to himself, to be the God to us that he promised, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. So this is a meal of remembrance. So you're not just taking bread and wine. What, what you're actually doing is remembering. Right. If you don't do any remembering, can I, can I go this far as to say you really haven't partaken of communion? You just ate something. There's a remembering involved this morning. We need that remembering. So let's, let's do we have an organized way of doing this, Pete? All right. Four tables in the back. So as you guys want to just stand up, do they need to go anywhere? Or just go straight there. Go straight there. Get your uh, bread, your cup. Return to your seat and hold on to it. And as you guys are doing that, let me just encourage you. This, this meal means something to every person who has received Jesus Christ in their lives. And, and, and if that's not the case for you, that you're just investigating Jesus, you're thinking about, yeah, maybe one day I might trust him that way. And this is not a meal to partake in. It's just a meal to learn something from for the day that you do partake of it. But for all those who have trusted Christ, we want to encourage you to come receive communion with us. So just return to your seat and then we're going we're gonna to let Keith lead us for a moment while we're letting you guys get served.
shelter of the Lord who abide in his shadow for life. Say to the Lord, my refuge, my rock in whom I trust, and he will raise you up on with the most when life gets hard things delay we get disoriented it has to do with God's character his love for us because life suddenly became unpredictable right I mean this we just weren't predicting this would be happening Can we separate the unpredictability of this world from the unpredictability of God? 
There is a steadfast character in God that never changes. It never changes. That's different than the fact that Monday is going to be different than Tuesday is going to be different than next year. That's just very, very different. God does not change. Times do. We change. And God knows that. So what we have are these emblems that represent the extremeness of God. Our God is an extreme God. And so... Anybody struggling right now, whatever category you're in, destroyed house, COVID challenges, business problems, finances, delay in life, to what extreme would God go for you? That's the question, isn't it? And this is really helpful. This is a remembrance. He would go to the extreme to crush, crush his son. To take the eternal son of God off of a throne and put him in a human body. Trap him there, if you will, in space and in time to no longer roam the universe and receive the worship of every molecule. He would walk around dusty roads. He'd get thirsty and tired. He'd be mocked by people and disrespected. He would put on a body and then God would crush that body. What might this God do for us when we need him to show up? Let us remember what he did. Let's take the cracker. What might God do to be near to us? To not be some figment of an idea that exists on the other side of the universe, but to be actually in our lives, joined to us, walking day by day together. But that's impossible because we are sinners separated from the living God. What if God did something really, really extreme? What if he put our sins on his son and shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins? That's pretty extreme, isn't it? This God is pretty extreme, is he not? And you know, I don't know. I don't know where to find the text from the contractor that contacted me the other day. In my phone, I've just got gazillion messages. I don't know a lot. But I do know some things. I know I serve a God who is radically extreme in restoring my life. There was never a greater need in my life than the forgiveness of my sins and the return of the life of God to my soul. Never a bigger need in my life. And I stare at this cup and I remember that. Amidst all I don't know, I do know something, don't I? Let's partake of the cup. I know we have a variety of needs. I just felt impressed to do something for a segment of us this morning. 
And I think this church can uniquely pray for some needs that are here. So let me do this. If you are right now, if your life has been disrupted by Hurricane Ida, and you just, you're just facing some things that are just going to be a difficult path for you to walk. Can I ask you to stand up and come forward for a moment? Just, just get up and come up here. It could be damaged property. It could be a financial situation that's gotten created. It could be a disruption in your business that's going to be really hard to recover from. Here's a unique thing that we have as a church. Let me just ask you this. If you were in this place 16 years ago, can you raise your hand real quick? Wow. All right, so there's a bunch of you who know what it's like to navigate a life full of questions and uncertainties and fears and doubts. Can I ask you guys to come up here and pray with these guys? Could you just come lay your hands on them? Uh, My wife and I are going to go down there in just a second as well. So you're welcome to come and pray for us in that moment. But before I do that, I want to ask, Barbara had a word this morning. I just want everybody to hear that. And then... Phil, could I ask you to come up here, bro? And after we've let folks just pray down here on the floor, if you would close us in prayer after we get some time. But Barbara, go ahead and share that word. As I was listening to Pastor Keith preach today, I had a sense that the Lord wanted me to share this. For those of you who are waiting for your house to be restored, let the beauty of this truth deeply impact your souls, knowing that you are a recipient of this promise. John 14, 1 through 3 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. As you wait for your earthly house and the rooms within them to be ready for you, savor on the glorious truth that Jesus said his Father's house has a place for you. And let that truth carry you through not only this moment, but the rest of your life until we are in our permanent heavenly homes.
Father, we are grateful this morning that you have given us the privilege to come into this house and worship you. Lord, to be fed this word, which is so needful to our hearts and souls this day. And Lord, we do, before we leave this, this hour, Lord, we do pray for those in need around us. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Lafouche, in Terrebonne, Lafitte, Laplace, Tangipahoa, Destrahan, and all these areas, Lord, that were devastated by this storm. Provide for every need, we pray, Holy Spirit. And Lord, we walk out of here this morning with fresh faith because your word has imparted it to us. And your Holy Spirit gives us endurance for this hour. And for this, we are grateful. So, Father, use us as we walk away from this building today to be those lights in this darkened world, to be the salt in this tasteless world, to bring this glorious gospel to the darkened areas. And we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful, holy, mighty name. Amen and amen. You're dismissed.